What is holding you back from the life that God created you to live? Are you being held captive by doubts, fears, or sins? Like the Israelites, we can get comfortable in captivity. Staying with the familiar can seem easier than moving forward in faith. The redemptive story of the Exodus reminds us that God wants to lead us out of captivity and that we can trust God as we journey to freedom. We are on a journey to freedom, and looking at the book of Exodus gives us many opportunities to draw parallels into our lives today because many things hold us captive, but God wants to set us free and then draw us close to Him that we might be His people. And one of the things we need freedom from is the misconceptions about God and our relationship with Him. Our, in our Exodus so far, we've seen the Israelites come out of slavery. They've crossed the sea and been separated from their old life. And then they walked, they journeyed through the wilderness by the help of God. And three months later, they reached the mountain of God. And today we find ourselves on the mountain in Exodus chapter 19. And this is a fulfillment of God's promise to Moses in the same place at the burning bush. He told him in Exodus 3.12... And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that this is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And if Moses had any doubt as he's serving the right God, he knows he's there now. It's settled. God has shown the people the sign. He sent the deliverance. He brought his people out, and here they are to worship God. Israel's arrival at the, the mount is got to be one of the highlights of the book of Exodus. It's just called the mountain at this point, but later we're gonna, it's going to be called Mount Sinai. And which mountain is that? Because even today there's dispute on which mountain is Mount Sinai. And we don't know exactly, but what is not disputed is that Moses led the people to a real mountain to worship a real God. And they're going to spend the rest of Exodus in this lonely place, getting the law, building the tabernacle, meeting a living God. And so today we find ourselves in Exodus 19. This is one of those times that'd be really good to turn over to Exodus 19, to find that and to follow along. And buckle up, because here we go. And I also want to let you know that uh, the message, to me at least, has been very challenging. It has pulled me in multiple directions as I considered God, the awesome power of God, a God that is too large, too big, too overwhelming to fit in one little description, one idea, and this has caused me to expand my view, and as you try and see God, this multiple facets of God where you, you think of this and also it's, there's this contrasting thought, it can, it can be very difficult, and the more you look like me, the more challenging it is sometimes for us to hold these multiple views of God. One of the beauties of young people is the way that they can take these two contrasting thoughts and hold them together. But at the same time, all of us, no matter the color of our hair or our, the mental abilities we have, God is too big to fit into a little box. We cannot fully understand him. And it is going to be challenging for us as we continue to grow in our knowledge and understanding of Him. And so today we're going to spend a lot of time in the Bible, in the text. I am going to give you some commentary. And you need to make sure you remember there's Kent's commentary and there's the Word of God. 
And it's okay to, to talk to me later and let's discuss. I'd love to visit with you more about these thoughts and how we apply them today. But when in doubt, go to God's Word and let God speak to you today. So here we are on the mountain. Let's go to Exodus 19, verses 1 and 2. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Verse 3, then Moses went up to, the Lord, to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. Moses meets first with God, and yes, he went up to God. Yes, it is a mountain, and God is a high and exalted God. Psalm 36, 6 says, your righteousness is like the highest mountain. I mean, God is righteous, he's holy, he's large. And then it says in the same Psalm, Psalm 36, 6, your justice is the great deep. So you have these contrasts of God. Of God. He is so much more. We witness the heights and the depths of God. He is both awesome, he's complex, he's not just one. He is both, and not just both, he is so much more. And so Moses goes up, verse 4. Here's the message to the children of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Basically, here's the outline of God's speech to the children of Israel. It's about the past, it's about the present, and it's about the, the future. God reminds the children of Israel of what he had done for them in the past. You've seen what I did in Egypt, how I humiliated Pharaoh and his gods by attacking them with the ten terrible plagues, how I drowned Pharaoh's army in the sea, and in so doing, I brought you out of slavery. You've seen what I did. And then in the wilderness, how I carried you on eagles' wings. I lifted you up. I helped you through that time. You know, the eagle is known as a fierce bird of prey and it certainly is it attacks its enemies just like God attacked Israelites enemies the Egyptians but the eagle is also seen as a bird of rescue and we've seen that many times for many of us we might remember reading the the hobbit and if you if you like the book you might remember how the eagles came and rescued twice and and there at the very end when they're surrounded by goblins and the fire and the storm the famous words the eagles are coming the eagles are coming and Tolkien does a great job of talking about this aspect of eagles and I think it's a very biblical concept the the rescue and God has come to their rescue he lifted them up he saved them this imagery is very biblical in Deuteronomy 32, 11, you see the same thing. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft. He's talking about what God has done for us. And eaglets are very helpless. I understand that they stay in the nest up to 100 days. And when it's time for them to leave, the, the eagle doesn't just leave her young and abandon them. Instead, she... Uh, Hovers, oh, she stirs up the nest. She makes it where they are encouraged to fly. And then she watches them. And if, and if they are in trouble, she, she comes underneath them and, and catches them on her wings and carries them to safety. And that's exactly what God has done with the children of Israel. This God who is so powerful 
that he, he, he uh, overcame the gods of, of Egypt with the plagues and the one that destroyed their enemies in the waters of the Red Sea, the one that provided manna and, and direction and light and fire. This is the God who is literally carrying them like an, an eagle carries her young on our wings. Wow, what a beautiful imagery. And not does he just carry them, but he brings them to him and brought you to myself. He's drawn them close. You see, it wasn't just about getting out of Egypt. It was about getting Israel close to God. And their salvation and our salvation is not just about being saved. It's, it's not the end in and of itself. It is so that we can draw close to God, that we can have this fellowship with God both now and forever. And he tells the Israelites, you witnessed all of this. You, you saw it all. And that's the history that he wants them to remember. They saw it for themselves. They are eyewitnesses. And we are called to be eyewitnesses of what God has done in our lives and for us. Brother and sister in Christ, those of us who have put on Christ, we were in bondage. We were slaves to sin. Couldn't, couldn't make ourselves perfect again. We were flawed. And yet, God sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay for that price and to make us home again. We came through the waters of baptism, and he has carried us on his wings. He's provided what we need. And when we fall and we stumble, the blood of Christ continues to cleanse us. He picks us up, and he carries us, and he brings us into the loving embrace of God. He brought us out of sin. He has lifted us up. He's drawing us close, and we can be very certain of his love. We witness this. We've seen what he did in our lives. Now, up to this point in the story, what God required of the Israelites was just to have faith in his covenant, to have faith in his promise. But now he continues on, and he calls them to obedience. Verses 5 and 6 of Exodus 19. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant... Then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. He's about to reveal to, his, to them his will. In the next chapter, we'll talk about it, the Ten Commandments. But as we set that up, he's saying, here's what I require of you. And that is full obedience. It's the main thing. If you obey me and fully keep my covenant. I wonder, as I was reading this passage, what, what the children of Israel likely heard. You know, you know we have a tendency to look in, in, to ourselves and personalize things a little bit too much at times and make ourselves the center of, of, a, th of a passage, of a thought. Here's what I think that the children of Israel could have been tempted to hear most loudly. I highlighted it. Out of all nations, I pick you. It's all lined up. And I can pick anybody to be on my team. I, I pick you first to be on that team. And I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In other words, I'm going to make it where you can come into my presence. I mean, you're, you're the ones, the chosen ones that can come close and be nearest to me. That's likely what, what they heard, and that's true. But let's focus on the whole passage and the premise to that promise he gives to them. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you'll be my treasured possessions. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
You see, the focus is not on me. It's on God and who he is and how, how awesome and unspeakable and indescribable he is. I mean, the God who made the whole earth and everything in it wants me to fully obey and keep his covenant so that I can be a special person to him and have a special purpose. And it wasn't just true for the children of Israel. <laughs> yes, it's not just true that they're the only ones that focus a little bit too much on self and not about enough on God. But that calling for them is also a calling for us. In the New Testament, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, you can't miss how these verses are connected. But you, we're talking about us now, Christians, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Through Jesus, God has given the church the same priestly task he was calling the children of Israel to. We have a purpose. Like the Israelites, we are to be a kingdom of priests to, to serve God, to come into his presence. He's delivered us from slavery to sin. He has set us apart for his holy service. We pass through the waters of baptism. And we're here to glorify God and to live holy lives. All right, back to our text, Exodus 19, verse 6. So Moses, here's the message. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to God. Moses comes, he shares the message. And the message is of God's covenant. Will you be my people? And this covenant is much like a marriage covenant, so much so that later on when the Israelites turn to foreign gods, he calls it committing adultery. And so will you enter into covenant, this relationship with me? And the people say yes. So Moses the mediator, into the mountain, come and told it, get the answer, back up to the mountain to give their answer to the Lord. Verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and all will put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. Very clear. God is making Moses his mediator. Verses 10 and 11. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits, in verse 12, for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. Verse 13. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. Don't touch them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. Wow. There's a lot there. But continuing on, verse 14. After Moses has gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them, and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, prepare yourself for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. 
Just a, just a word about consecration and abstaining. First of all, the, the cleaning of the clothes. I mean, it, it, basically the king is coming. Wash, clean up. You're, you're dirty. Be clean when he comes. It, that cleaning of the clothes is a sign of sanctification. In the Bible, clothing often serves as an outward symbol for someone's true spiritual condition. And so it's not just about dirty clothes, but understand that spiritually you are sinful people. And so in a way, he tells Israel about the, the outward need of clean, cleansing, but they also need to be aware of one's sin before coming into the presence of, Christ, of God. Now for us as believers, we should be aware of this too. We are able to come into the presence of God as sinful people. Why? Because we have been made clean and we have been clothed with Christ. Sanctified, consecrated, clothe yourself with Christ. A word about the abstaining from sexual relationships. This is not to say that, that sex is wrong in a marital relationship. He's talking about a form of fasting here. According to the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 7:5, the only reason to abstain from marital relationships like this is for a spiritual reason and then only for a short time. So basically what the Israelites are doing is they're abstaining from sexual relationship for three days to give God their undivided attention. The king is coming. The law is coming. And so consecrate yourself and abstain. Two powerful thoughts. What we're talking about here and what needs to be seen is the greatness of God. It is, God's greatness is transcendent. It's supreme. It is, I don't have words. Uh, sometimes I think we forget about that God that we, we clean up for. We need to be made ho that is holy and we're impure. It's, it's God, the maker of heaven and earth. We oftentimes jump to extremes. If you ever traveled in Europe and visited locations of the Middle Ages, one of the things that you're amazed by is the cathedrals of the Middle Ages. I mean, they were so uh, aware that this God was so different that they would build these elaborate... I mean, they were living in huts. They don't have the technology we have. And they would build these elaborate cathedrals to show how wonderful and big and large God. Here you are, hut. Here's God in this cathedral. And, and they were just, they overdid it. I mean, it's just like, he's holy, he's majestic. You can't miss it. Sometimes we might have a tendency to go to an opposite extreme and, and view God in just a casual relationship. And what you have here is a, a God that is, is both. God hears us. He listens to us. He cares about our condition, the slavery, the sin. He works on our behalf. He loves us. He carries us on eagle's wings. He brings us to himself. He pledges his love for us. He calls us to be his people. He is God with us. But he is God. And he is holy. 
and you better not touch the mountain. I mean, he is God with us. When Jesus was born, what was his name? Emmanuel, Matthew 1.23, which means God with us. What's intimidating about God coming and being with us? But he is more than just God with us. Again in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 6, verses 15 and 16. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. This God that draws us close so that he can be with us is a holy, righteous, pure God. And so you read Exodus 19, 12. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. Why did God put all these restrictions on Israel? Especially when he's gone to so much length to bring them close to him. And now it seems like he's almost keeping them at arm's length. There are just some things that we just can't know about God. Is it good to be curious about God? To want to know God better? Absolutely. But it is wrong to demand to know everything about God. Every secret. And if I can't know everything about you, God, then I'm not with you. Why, why did he keep them from touching the mountain? I think it's pretty obvious part of that was for their own safety. God is so perfect and holy that if you were to barge into his presence, it is dangerous. It's so hard to sometimes grasp this. And maybe there are stories in the Old Testament, especially when you think about the holiness of God, that make you, you stop and pause. And I hope this is one of those. Another might likely be Leviticus 10, 1 through 2, the story of Nadab and Abihu. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense, and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So the fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. This is serious stuff. Or maybe you remember the story of Uzzah who touched the ark in 1 Chronicles 13.10. The Lord anger, Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark. So he died there before the Lord. So you have this thought, God is a powerful, holy, all-consuming God. And coming into his presence unprepared can mean sudden death. God says later in Exodus, no one can see me and live. And that's not just for them. There is an application for us today as believers Hebrews 12, verses 28 through 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. God is holy. We come before him with reverence and with awe. So back to our text, verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. 
Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. Wow. This is an awesome God. The whole scene shows it. I mean, his majesty, his power, he is the almighty God. I mean, they had seen the, the glory of God when he saved them from Egypt. They had seen the glory of God in the wilderness in that pillar of fire and that cloud. And now they're given an even more dazzling display of this awesome glory of God. Someone observed that every one of these phenomenons on the mountain kind of points to a different aspect of God. The thunder and the, the earthquakes, you see his power. In the dark clouds, you see that unfathomable nature of God, the mystery, the things that we just can't fully understand, that you can't penetrate. In the fire, you see his purity, the holiness of God. And in the trumpet, you see the coming of the king. And I imagine everybody there that day, they never forgot that scene. God in all his holiness and majesty. You know, there's a scene similar to that that's coming for us. It's in the future, true, on Judgment Day. And we'll certainly see the same kind of glory on that day of judgment when he descends on the last day with the trumpet sound. But we also need to re realize that today, in our todays, God is an awesome God. He is the same awesome God that revealed his glory on Mount Sinai. He is not just some cosmic force that is off out there somewhere. He is not just a kindly old grandpa waiting to help us and give us what we want. He is not just the man upstairs. He is a holy and awesome God. Verse 20. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses goes up again. And the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them will perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us. Put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. And the Lord replied, Go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them, it hardly seems necessary to keep repeating this warning, does it? I mean, I mean, are you catching something that's very important in this chapter, Acts 19? Here we have it again. Moses obviously felt God was being redundant. Hey, they weren't going to come up. You already told them to. Yeah, every time I tell them to do something one time, they do exactly what I say, right? Remember, he is putting these limits because he is holy and they are unholy people. These limits are set to protect them. And he repeats the warning three times. He says the priest must not force their way to them. You know, it's interesting here because priest, the priesthood is not set up yet. Now, I know there's a lot more to this, but when I read it, I envision the people saying, 
you know, hey, we're a holy people, a, a priesthood. He called us a priesthood. We're, we're people. We know what priests do. We can come into the presence. And I don't know why they might have been tempted, but it's almost like every time Moses went up to the mountain and came back, God says, tell him again. And he goes up again. And it's almost like they say, well, you know, it's working for Moses. Yeah, I really want to know more about God, too. I wonder what's really happening behind that cloud. And if Moses can go up there and come back, it'd be okay with me. So many times we've become familiar with things and we think it doesn't apply to us. You know, one thing that we're all familiar with is death. I mean, I know we're not, but we know death is a reality, right? And we, we go to funerals and, and it's almost like, well, everybody dies and God is a loving father, so. I mean, the, I can go unprepared. Because that's what these children of Israel would be doing. If they went to the mountain, they would be going unprepared to meet the, the righteous and holy God. And let's not go into the presence of God unprepared. Let's be better at following directions than they were. I don't know what all this means, but I know at least they were not to come because it was dangerous for them. That God is majestic and holy and his holiness was beyond their understanding. Hebrews 12, verses 18 through 22. Talk about what the Israelites felt are found at the mountain. You have not come to the mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm. To a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that, the, that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. So when the children of Israel came to their mountain, that's what they felt. And that's what they found. As God's children, we come to a different mountain. And Hebrews continues to talk about it and contrast it for us. Verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Wow, so much there. What a contrast. Startling. You have Mount Sinai and you have Mount Zion. One mountain is stormy and, and, and dark, and the other is a, a city on a hill, bright and shining. One mountain is one filled with fear and danger, and the other is a place of peace and safety. One blazes with fire and is blasted with noise. The other has angels celebrating your presence and your coming. One is a mountain with designated signs to keep away. And one is designed to draw us close. It's very important you understand this. 
This is where I struggle. The difference is not God. He was present on both mountains. The difference is that we come to Mount Zion on the right side of justice because of Jesus, our mediator, and the blood that was shed on the cross. Their mediator was Moses. Ours is Jesus, the one who offered himself once and all for our sacrifice. So many passages in the New Testament speak to this. Here's just one, Hebrews 7, 27. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. He is that sacrifice. And because of Jesus, we can come into the presence of God, this holy and righteous God. Hebrews 10, 19 through 24, 22. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. Remember the curtain that kept us away? You can't come into the holy of holies because it's the holiness, the righteousness, this awesome God. But because of Jesus, we have a way through the curtain. And since, we have a great, and, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere hearts, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. That's what we have as believers. We have a God who saves us, hears us, saves us, defeats this world, and it's God's, and separates us from the world, carries us through the waters. And as we obey him, confess him as Lord of our lives, repent and say we're not going to live in the old place anymore, and are baptized, he takes us through those waters and sets us apart. And he carries us. And when we stumble and we mess up and fall, the blood of Jesus continually cleanses us. He catches us. He carries us on his wings and draws us into his presence. And we get to come into the presence of a holy, righteous, awesome, perfect, I don't have words for it, God. And don't let you, don't, don't think for a minute that that's just a casual relationship. And yet it is in that God comes to us in our quietest, deepest, darkest moments. I mean, he, he is there for us when no one else is. He hears the groaning of our hearts, and yet he is also this awesome God. I, I, can't, I can't grasp it all. I can't hold it all at one time in my, my brain. But I do know this. We have a loving God. One to be feared, one to be respected, and one who loves and looks out for us. So I just got to go back to the opening. What do, you, what do you tell the children of Israel? Be faithful. Trust my covenant. Trust my promise. And be fully obedient. Submit to him. Because we too 
are headed to a mountain. And he's carrying us there. And when we come to our mountain, <laughs> brothers and sisters, those of us put on Christ, we'll fall to our knees because he is an awesome, perfect, and holy God. And we'll tremble, not with fear, though, but because of Jesus, with utter glory and awe, we are in the presence of an almighty God. <laughs> I don't know what we'll say, but it might just be holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God Almighty who was and is and always will be. And we'll be in his presence. If you've never put on Christ, that's what you have waiting for you. He loves you. He is an awesome God. Well, today you confess his name and be baptized. For those of us on a journey, he can catch and carry us. And some of you need to be caught right now. If you need to be restored, we'd love to pray with you. There's going to be some shepherds and their wives praying in the parlor. They would love to meet you there. Feel free to make your way as we sing this song. For many of us, we just need to look inside ourselves. We serve a holy God. Let's spend some time in reflection as we stand together and sing.